welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! It's going to be an amazing morning. We're going to make some changes in the new year. I'm excited about those changes. Change is always exciting. January 14th, make sure you're here. First person experience of the year. Remember, tell your friends, tell your enemies. Join us online 24th, the 31st, and the 7th. We're online. Okay, this is not, um, this is not a, a, a redo of the pandemic. We are just doing online for those three weeks. You know, th- and this is, you know, part in part, this is why we need to believe God for a building. Continue to believe God for a building. Amen. I got some amens, a few amens. I was uh, talking to my seven-year-old daughter last night, and she's like, I said to her, seven-year-old, seven years old, I said, do you know what amen means? She's like, she stopped. She's like, um, it means let it be. Yes. I've done my job as a parent. I was like amazed. I was like, for a while there, I'm like, uh, 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 you're almost there. And then she got it. I was like, yes. I mean, so be it. Let it be. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that, which is really odd. You can be in church and not know what you're saying half the time. It's like the people that repeat Jesus, Jesus, Father, Father in their prayer like 10,000 times. Like he ha- doesn't know you're talking to him. You know, be like, hey, Matt, how you doing, Matt? How you doing, Matt? Matt, you're awesome, Matt. Oh, hey, Matt. Hi, Matt. I love you, Matt. You're awesome. Like, just like, hey, I know you're talking to me, bro. Stop saying my name over and over again anyways, but we do that. Anyways, it's all good. I'm excited about this morning. I want to read uh, Hebrews chapter 10 to 11. So I'm going to read part of the last part of Hebrews chapter 10 into chapter 11. We're going to dive into this. Please take some notes. I want this to be practical for you. Uh, I believe God is going to uh, speak to you this morning. A little bit of a context for Hebrews Uh, We don't actually know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. It used to be speculated that it was Paul. Um, But uh, over the years and over the centuries, uh, that speculation was kind of thrown out based upon a lot of factors. won't go into that. Some people believe that the authors could have been Luke, Barnabas, Apollos, or even Clement. Uh, They've been considered. This book was wrote in A.D. 64 to 69, somewhere in that vicinity. And it includes, a lot of the book is addressing Italians. This is amazing, eh? God love the Italians. Addressing the mob. No, I'm just joking. Addressing the Italians um, uh, and many others, actually, Jews and Christians, uh, new believers. Some people say it was only addressed to Jewish believers or Jews, but no, it was addressed to both. Um, And they were away from home, actually. And so, of course, this is in Rome, speaking to uh, Rome as well. And uh, in this, this book is a powerful book in that it celebrates the, the ultimate supremacy and priesthood of Jesus. It's a great book. If you haven't read it, you need to read it, dive into it. And I'm not going to go into all the context for Hebrews, but let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, the latter part of chapter 10. Remember, there's no chapter breaks in the original manuscript. So when you read it, there's no verses, no verse numbers, and no chapter breaks. So we think when we read our English translations of Hebrews chapter 10 into 11, it's like a chapter break. It's like, no, there's no chapter break. There's no break. It's a continuous thought. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 to 39. Bear with me. Let's read the scripture. How many believe in the value of the scripture? Hopefully you do. Um, And if you don't, you eventually will. Uh, It says this in verse 32. Remember those early days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Remember the days when you had a perseverance to overcome things that maybe you don't have right now. A lot of who he was addressing were people and believers that became weak in their faith. Started out good, but they became weak. They were struggling. So remember when you endured in great conflict full of suffering, verse 33, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. 
publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. Great motivation for me, as, I, as you know, I'm leaving to Israel tomorrow morning. Great motivation for me to stand side by side with people that are being attacked. Sometimes, you know, when, imagine this, when you're going through a crisis, sometimes all you want is your friends to come to your house and just be with you, right? When you're in crisis, you just want friends to come to your house. There's a very small fraction of Jewish people in the world relative to the population. Very, 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 very small fraction. Sometimes you just want people to come to your house and be with you, hang out with you. You suffered, verse 34, along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. That would be interesting, eh? To joyfully accept taking away or losing your property. To joyfully accept the confiscation of your property is, is a sign of great trust in the Lord, isn't it? Trust in God. Like if you can joyfully accept someone taking something from you, you trust that God will give something back to you even greater. Are you here? This morning. Because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. You could be robbed and then realize, oh my gosh, okay, you know, it's hard, it's painful, you feel violated. How many have ever been robbed before? Yeah. And uh, I always say that whenever I travel with people and my people were driving me around, I'm like, make sure you lock the doors. I've been robbed too many times. I know what it feels like to be violated and robbed. But I also know what it feels like to have a realization that what is taken from me is not greater than what is before me. And that's, that's, a, that's a revelation that, that takes time to understand, and sometimes it's only in hindsight. When you look back and say, wow, well, what came after was greater than what I lost. Because there is no gain in life without loss. There is no new fruit on your tree without pruning. And that's just the reality of life in every area of life. Sometimes you have to cut away some stuff in your life to create more room for growth in your life. So loss is just simply a preparation for gain. Verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. This is encouragement to keep on going, to keep on moving. Perseverance is one of the greatest assets and values you could live in as a kingdom person. As somebody who's following Jesus, verse 37, 4, in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, and by, and, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure, listen to this, in the one who shrinks back. How many people know some people that have shrunk back in their faith? They started out really good, wild in faith, sacrificial in faith. Led by the Spirit all the time. Everywhere they went, they were like, God, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on. What are you saying? What are you doing? And then eventually stuff sets in, challenges set in, problems set in. You're tempted to no longer be perseverant in what you used to be perseverant in, and you've shrunk back. Anybody in here, maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you are in that shrinking stage right now. God wants to get you out of that place this morning. Verse 39. But we, and this is a prophetic proclamation over us, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. We can, that was like in sync, whoever said that, that was awesome. We can shrink back because times are hard, but we need to have, write this down, faith for the future. This is my subject today. I want to talk about having faith for the future. Faith for the future. And faith for the future always looks like sacrifice in the now. For you to have faith for the future, you have to be able to sacrifice in the present. Because a demonstration of faith for the future is how you're positioned in the present. If you're not doing anything for your future while you're in the present, you do not have faith for the future. You have to persevere and occupy your present by planting seeds in the garden of your now so you can harvest fruit in the garden of your future. Did you hear that? If you plant seeds in the garden of your now, you will eventually harvest fruit in the garden of your future. But if you are waiting for a garden in the future and are not taking care and planting seeds in the garden of the now, you will not harvest fruit in the future. 
And right after verse 39, we dive into one of my favorite chapters in Hebrews, chapter 11. Chapter 11. In fact, I, I am about 70% through a book that I've written on this topic of faith. And I love verse 1 in chapter 11. Chapter 11 really defines what we call the heroes of the faith. And the heroes of the faith are not necessarily people that actually experienced the promise that they were believing for. They were not celebrated just because they received and they occupied great things in their life. They were actually celebrated as heroes of the faith because they died still believing. That sounds very negative and depressing, but the reality of it is there is more celebration on the fact that you could live in the invisible without tasting the tangible and continue on throughout your whole life. Because it means that you're walking by faith, not by sight. Yes, we want the result. We want the promised land. I'm not saying we don't want that. But in Hebrews chapter 11, there is a celebration of those that kept on believing and they didn't stop believing. They persevered to the end. And that's why they were celebrated. The writer first describes what faith is and lists many situations where faith was present in the life of these historical biblical figures. Let's go to verse 1 of chapter 11. Now faith, everyone say now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word faith, something, I want to I break this down for you in a second, but I'm going to read this whole four verses that we're going to break down verse by verse, okay? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Ponder on that for a second. The evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. For by faith, the elders, that's what it's referring to, obtained a good testimony, or the word is good reputation. By faith, verse 3, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So by the invisible, the visible was created. By faith, we understand that everything that's visible was created by the invisible, which, is a, is a, is, which tells me and is a statement of the fact that the invisible is more real than the, than the visible. Why? Because the invisible was first. Everything that's visible was created from what was invisible. So what is more important and what is more powerful and what is more eternally existent is the non-visible, is the invisible. And by faith, we understand that principle. See, faith gives you access into the invisible realm. If you want to experience supernatural life, you have to have faith. Faith is the doorway to the invisible realm. You cannot access into the invisible without faith. We're gonna get into, in, we'll get into what faith really actually is in a second. So by faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Verse 4, by faith, everyone say by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice then Cain, that was his brother. Adam and Eve made a baby named Cain, made another baby named Abel. Cain and Abel. Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead, or it being dead, still speaks. So what does God want to do today, I believe, in this room? Let me tell you. I believe God wants to give us faith for the future. He wants to have a faith for the future. To truly embrace that, we need to uncover a few things found in the first four verses of this chapter. Number one, write this down. Let's first talk about the position of faith. The position of faith. What is faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance. Faith, everyone say the word with me. Pistis. Next time the devil gets upset, or after, you can say, I'm pistis at the devil. Because the word for faith in the Greek is pistis. And if you break the word down, in the Greek, it actually means God's divine persuasion. Let me just tell you this. Faith is not something that you can conjure up. Faith is not a choice you just make one day. Faith is literally birthed within the believer where you know that you know. It's an assurance. You don't just choose to believe that one day when you die, you're going to go to a better place. If you have met the person of Jesus, you will have a revelation that will turn on faith on the inside, and you will know 
that you will live in a better place when you die. It is not the same kind of faith that says today, this morning, I'm, I don't feel good. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to wake up, even though I don't feel good, and I'm going to choose to brush my teeth. That is not faith. You made a choice to do that. You could call that faith. You could call that I just got up and I just chose to go brush my teeth, even though I didn't feel like doing it. Faith is beyond that. The kind of faith we're talking about here is a divine persuasion that you know that you know that you know. Now, if you break this word down, it actually could mean God's warranty plan over your life. I'm so persuaded that if this thing breaks down, called the body, if, if my life breaks down, you know, my career breaks down, that God's warranty plan is over all of it because he gave me a good promise. I have faith that God will rebuild me, restore me, and redeem me. That is faith, right? Some of you need to get a little more, more pistis in this room in this season. Now, faith is the, everyone say substance. That word substance is the Greek word hypostasis. And it literally means to stand under, like pictured like an umbrella that you put over your head, shielding you from the rain or the elements. Faith, God's divine persuasion, is the standing under of things that you are hoping and believing for. The promise of God over your life. If God's given you a promise for a great future, and I'm just generalizing here, God's given you a great promise for a great future, and everything right now is glim. It's gloomy. It's dark. It's horrible. But you're so persuaded that God's future is great for you. When you understand what that means and you stand in that faith and stand in that position, it's like you're holding an umbrella over your head, shielded from the elements, saying, although there is rain all around me, I am protected from the damage of that rain. And I will make it through to the other side. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Are you with me? One commentary by Donald Guthrie says it like this, faith provides a platform for hope. So faith basically is the builder of the platform. Faith, build this platform, and now I stand on faith, persuaded by God that I will win in life. Faith provides a platform for hope. Because I'm on this platform and I can see higher, because I'm standing on faith, I can have hope for the future. Faith is the entryway through the door into the room. Once I'm in the room, I need hope to stay in the room. Faith builds the platform, opens the door to get me into hope, to keep on believing, to stand under God's promises. And I know that I know that I know if things break down, I got God's warranty plan. Ever bought a warranty? They work most of the time. If you read the fine print, they work most of the time. We have God's warranty plan. Faith provides a platform for hope and a perception into the reality of what would otherwise remain unseen. Take a picture of that. Remember that. Provides a platform and a perception into reality of what would otherwise remain unseen. It gives us access into the invisible to engage with evidence not seen. Think about what you're believing for in 2024. You know, we, when we're doing this House of Hearts thing at the end, there's bookmarks. If you haven't got one, there's plenty over there. But in the envelope, there's a black bookmark. And we just say, hey, encourage you. Write down what you're believing for. You know, and at the end of the day, you might be like, I got $0 in my account. Give 10 cents. Do something. Because you can't afford not to do something in moments like these. And write down what it is that you're believing for. I'm believing for total change. I'm believing for change in my finances, change in my job, change whatever, whatever it is for you. Write down what you're believing for. I, man, my wife and I wrote things down 11 years ago that just made, man, was manifest literally in 2021. And we didn't write it down every year, but we wrote it down as a seed. We planted a seed in the garden to harvest a fruit in the garden of our future. And 11 years later, we received a harvest of our future that we planted in several years before that. You just don't know when you step out in faith and you put seeds in the garden, in the present life, in your present reality, in your present situation, when you're, when you're struggling, you don't know what that's going to do. Now, of course, you can't just, you know, leave it there. You got to take care of it. You got to water it. You got to steward it. You got to have the right environment. You got to, you know, make sure it's getting some sunlight. There's an element of our responsibility 
If you're praying for a job in 2024 and you never apply to any job, well, maybe you should. Because you've got to position yourself for the things you're believing for. There's a position of faith that so persuades you that God is going to give what he's called you to give. Number two, write this down. Perseverance is progress. I love this. This really speaks to me. This really speaks to me. Perseverance is progress. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2 says, For by it the elders, speaking of the people he's talking about in the context of how Hebrews chapter 11, which I will not read all of it to you, so I'm only reading four verses of it to you. Well, actually five. I'm going to read five, but four, mostly four verses. You've got to read the whole chapter because he's speaking about all the people that are being celebrated. For by it, the elders obtained, actually the word is good reputation in some translations. The reputation precedes them because they died believing, not yet seeing the promise. And I wonder if that speaks to legacy more than anything else. I wonder if I die one day, not in Israel in Jesus' name, but I die. That was kind of a joke. Nobody got that. But anyways, if I die, sorry. Uh, if I die, um, and, and, and I don't fulfill some promises over my life, I hope that my kids take it to the next level. To me, that's legacy. There will be things that I fulfill and pass on as legacy, and there will be things that I think probably maybe I won't fulfill, and hopefully I don't, just like David didn't fulfill certain things. He had a heart to do certain things, but he didn't fulfill it, but he fulfilled it through the next generation. That's the passing on of legacy. They earned a good reputation because they died still believing, and, and I love this. Perseverance is progress. Now, this word for obtained a good testimony. It's not translated this way in the English, but it actually means to have divine approval or receive a good reputation. To have the divine approval from God that, hey, I'm going to keep on going because there's something worth it on the other side. It's earned through sacrificial faith. Our testimony is created through persevering hope in the midst of not seeing the promise. And I think we think so much of testimony only being you having an issue, solving an issue, and then sharing how it all got solved. Right? That's how we think of testimony. This is not the testimony that's being celebrated here. Yes, they had good, yes, they are celebrating in context all the many great things that happened while they lived. But at the end of the chapter, you read the closing statement that's all about the good reputation they received dying still believing for the promise and i know that can sound like i don't want to die not receiving the promise i'm not saying you won't receive promises in your life but i'm saying that there will be things in your life that hopefully you are still believing for at the end of your life if you're not your dream is too small if you have if you could come to the end of your life and you say i fulfilled every little thing that was ever in god's heart man you didn't really know god very well because there will be things that God will speak to you that will be passed on to a future generation that you are not called to fulfill, but the next generation is. What do you know? Like, who do you know right now? Think about this right now. Who do you know in your life that's still in the middle of a process? Like, they're far away from their dream. They're struggling. Man, that's what they need, perseverance. And they need to know, and you need to know, that perseverance actually is a form of progress. When you are persevering in the middle from A to B, and you have not fulfilled the promise that you feel like is yours to fulfill, and you're in the middle, and it's a struggle, and it's hard, and it's dark, and I got some of these in my life right now. I know that at the end of the day, God looks at my situation and demands and expects perseverance, because that's his version of progress. Now, that can't be used as an excuse to say, well, I'm just persevering, and I'm just in it, and kind of suffering, going through the motions. I'm not saying just go through the motions. I'm saying... If you are in something right now and you've not seen the other side, to keep on persevering, to keep on believing, and to God, that's progress. It isn't the result you desire, but it's the result God desires right now. Because actually God cares more about how you handle processes in the middle than he does when you get into the results and into the promise. He cares way more. Because a lot of people are taken out in the middle. 
they're taken out. They're sideswiped. They give up in the middle. I know how I know so many people that gave up on God during a hard time during the pandemic. Let me just say there's going to be way worse things that happen in your life than a pandemic. For the Gen Z generation, way worse things that will happen in your life than a pandemic of having to work from home and not being able to go out in public. That's a very small, little challenging season. Now, I'm not diminishing how it impacted some people for the negative. I'm not saying that, you know, it, it can cause a lot of other things that lead to a lot, a lot of other things. I'm not saying I'm not going to diminish that. But for the most part, if you're young in this room, you're going to have a way more challenging time when you're older with other things. Experiencing death, loss, that's way more challenging to work through than just being having the government shut down some stuff for two years. I don't know if anybody likes that in the room, but. Hebrews 11, verse 39 says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Who are all these? All the people that I didn't mention. All the people that are listed as the heroes of the faith did not receive the promise. Now, some of you were like, man, that better not be me. Because there's some things that I better receive. And I'm not saying it's you, but I'm just saying there will be some things that are completely normal for you to die still believing for. Because God's dream for you is so big. It's so beyond you. What if you are simply just seeing it for the future of your grandkids, people that would come after you? What if you're just seeing the promise? You think it's for you, but really you're seeing it for your future. This was, this was the, the beautiful thing about Abraham and the legacy Abraham left that we are still living the fruit of today, is that he had a word from God that will touch thousands of generations and his descendants forever. And through Jesus, we are connected into that promise, into that reality. If we want faith for a better future, we have to understand faith, understand that persevering when you don't see it is actually a form of progress. And that we are actually living within and on top of, write this down, number three, someone else's sacrifice. Someone else's sacrifice. Somebody else paved the way for you to be here. You did not just magically show up. No stork dropped you off. You were created. God created you through people's sacrifice. says here in verse 3, by faith, we understand, this is verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. We cannot see the things that created or paved the way for us often in our life. We cannot see these things, the things that we were created from. What went into everything in the beginning, we can't see it, but we are experiencing the fruit of it. And this, this verse in context speaks to the creation of the cosmos. Of course, that's what we're talking about here, but it, it lands on so many other levels because it speaks to that what, is li what you're living right now was created by something that is invisible that you don't see. You are living on someone else's sacrifice right now. You know that. That for 11 years of kingdom culture, we are still living today after we lost our building, after eight years of traveling around the city, mobile church, 15 venues, we're still here because of somebody else's sacrifice that sowed a seed in 2012. So you'll never see them. You'll never meet them probably. Maybe, I don't even know where they are right now. There are hundreds of people thousands of people actually that have sown seeds into your future that you've never met and you're sitting here right now you're like well how does that how does that work well if it wasn't for their seed the house of god would be in shambles this house this local expression of the house would be in shambles but because of somebody else's sacrifice you're sitting here today you're sitting on top of and within and around somebody else's sacrifice I used to always say it like this. Somebody else paid for your seat. Matt says thank you. 
I want to encourage us to be a part of someone else's future in this season of our lives. Because when you give in moments like these at the end of this experience, it's like you're, you have to have an eternal perspective. You know, we encourage, yes, believe for what you're believing for, and it's, but it's not about you at the end of the day. It's about all the things and the people that you will never meet and don't see. It's about all the seeds that you're sowing right now that will produce more seeds and will speak into the future. It will literally move into the future. You will sacrifice for someone else's future. And that sacrifice paves the way. It changes the game. I remember, like, I, there was a time in my life where I never thought, you know, I would need two cars. You know, we had two kids, and uh, we were pregnant with our third. No, we were, yeah, we had two kids. And it was, yeah, yeah we had two kids in one car, and it was getting really packed in the car. And I thought, I don't, you know, I don't see how we would ever would need two cars necessarily. And I don't, at that time in my life, I'm like, I don't think I would even want to manage that and, and do that financially. And then my grandfather died, and he gave me his 2000, I believe, a 2002 Oldsmobile Aurora. Remember those cars? And it was quite a bit bigger than the car that I currently have. And so, you know, I went from one to two cars. And I, I just thinking about it, he gave me his car. And I drove that car for several years and sold it eventually and uh i just remember that someone i kept thinking this in that season man like someone else's sacrifice actually didn't just bless me it actually reframed my thinking about having two cars you know in that time in my life i just you know sometimes you need these moments to push you into a place where you see the value of something right someone else's sacrifice has the ability to reframe your thinking on a lot of different things but it's got to be motivated right it's got to be faith-led sacrificial Giving has to be faith-led. It cannot be just for the sake of sacrifice. Number four, write this down. Last point, and then we're done. Your sacrifice, listen to this, speaks. It speaks. Everything you sacrifice now speaks to the future, and it speaks to the present. The future of our kids, the future of the church, our families, our businesses, It speaks to something. I, I say this all the time. Like, when I, when I give my tithe, when I give my 10% to God, I used to, this is what I used to do, like, over a decade ago. I used to, you know, believe or, or, or pray, like, that, that God would take that tithe and, you know, bless me financially and do all these things financially and, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm not saying you should do that. But there came a time where I shifted my perspective and I focused the entirety of my motivation in my prayer around if I tithe, let it be a protection for my kids. My kids, if my kids know you and follow you all the days of their life and serve you in some way, my tithe was worth it. Because that's eternal. All the blessings and stuff, yeah, I tithe that God, you know, bless me with a house, give me a car or whatever. I can do all that. Great. That's all going to burn when I die. But my kid's soul is the most important part of why I trust God as a father, why we trust God as a couple with my finances so that they are set up for their future. I focus all of my attention on that with the tithe. Now, offerings are different because offerings are above and beyond a tithe. A tithe doesn't belong to you. It is simply you are returning it back to God scripturally. You cannot give something that doesn't belong to you. You return. That's why in Malachi it says return. Bring it back to God who it belongs to. The offering is above and beyond that. Now you may not be at that place where you can do either of those things. That's okay. You're on a journey. I'm not I'm just the messenger. I'm the, I'm the delivery man here. The word of God. I'm just the delivery man. If you want to go to the next level in your giving, Trust God with your tithe and start to understand the value of sacrificial offering. Change the game. I have never seen the type of breakthroughs in our lives from the inception, even before I was married, that I saw in offerings or in tithe than I do offerings, sorry. I've never seen the amount of breakthrough. Financially, like wild things always took place when I sacrificed in offering above and beyond my tithe. That's when the breakthrough always happened. Because that that's when it hurt the most. 
because that belongs to me in essence. I'm not returning it to God. I'm offering it to God. You with me? It's silent in the room. So your sacrifice speaks. Let me tell you what type of sacrifice speaks. Write this down. Are you ready for this? An excellent sacrifice is what speaks. Not a basic sacrifice, not a good sacrifice. An excellent sacrifice speaks. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Listen to this. By faith, Abel, everyone say Abel, offered to God a more, what does it say? Excellent sacrifice than Cain. Not that God was trying to draw a line of comparison, but in a sense, that's what's being insinuated here. That Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice, and it was acceptable because it was excellent. A more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Listen to this. Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. What does that say? That still to this day, that more excellent sacrifice is speaking to us. It speaks into the future. Why does it speak into the future? The only way you can understand what exactly is being said here is if you read Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Man, his offering still speaks. Your offering will speak when it's excellent. And what makes it excellent is when you bring your best. Not your good, not your lazy leftovers when you bring your best. Because it's sourced by a higher motivation with a desire to honor God. Now let's go back, Genesis 4. We're almost done. Track with me here. Verse 1 to 7, Genesis 4. This is why it was more excellent. This is what the Hebrew writer is referring to. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, because think about it, they had no sexologists back then. (laughs) With the Lord's help, we created a son named Cain. Because they're like the first people. Think about, what do we do? Okay, anyways. We, when she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Notice the line. Cain presented some. The insinuation here, and the innuendo really, is that it was kind of like some lazy leftovers. Here's some. Here's a jar of money that I've been just storing up from all my Tim Hortons change over the last 10 years. Here's some. Now, if that's what you're doing, sorry, I don't want to knock that. I'm just saying. (laughs) No one's laughing, so I'm probably striking a chord somewhere here. So Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Listen to this, verse 4. Abel also brought a gift. He says this, it says this, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. He didn't bring some, he brought the best portions. He brought the ones that he did not want to let go of because they were the best. No one wants to let go naturally of their best. No human on the planet wants to naturally let go of what is the best in their life. They want to let go of things that are easy. But let me just tell you, when you die at the end of your life, the one regret you will have in life is that you did not give your best in life to all the areas of your life. Your family, your career, your finances, your husband, your wife. That will be your only regret. You will think through, did I give my best? That's the only regret you're going to have at the end of the day, probably. Every rich person on the planet that dies, Steve Jobs on his deathbed had a realization that he did not give his best to the things that really mattered in his life and died of cancer prematurely. No one wants that life. So the Bible is so good for us because it teaches us how to do this now. That in every area of our lives, we are called to give our best portions to God financially, in our career, to our families, to our husbands, to our spouses. We're called to give our best, the firstborn lambs. Now we can go into this. this, is, this there's lots of revelatory truth around this one verse. I'm not going to go into that. 
It says here, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. Man, what a, what a horrible reality to live. God accepted Abel and his gift and did not accept Cain and his gift. The premise is this. The Lord was honored with Abel's best, but felt dishonored with Cain's second best. Do you see this? Jesus died on a cross to give you new life. He gave his best on the cross to give you new life. And somehow we struggle to give God our best back in return as a thank you. And listen to this. This is so powerful. Didn't accept Cain's gift. This, is the, this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected, depressed? You will be accepted. Listen to what God says. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. You must subdue it and be its master. He gave Cain an out to fix his path. I believe there's some of us in our lives right now that are angry at God. We're angry. We're dejected. But we've actually created this problem in our life because we know that we're living in a place where we're not giving God our best. And so we're at, angry at God for not doing certain things in our life. And I wonder, I'd propose this to you. I wonder if a lot of that anger is simply because we have not given our best to God in every area of our life. We're angry at God for not fixing our marriage, for fixing our family, our kids. We're angry at God for not answering the prayer of the promise he promised us. I don't know what it is for you, but maybe... Somewhere in that journey, we've just not given our best to God. We've given our lazy leftovers, and then now we're blaming God for something. He's saying, listen, I want you to honor me. Because honor paves the path, and honor opens the door to many things that you've yet to experience. You're one decision away from changing your path. You don't have to be a Cain. Don't murder your brothers and sisters in jealousy because they're getting something that you're not getting because you never gave your best, and they did. Because we know what happened. Cain murdered Abel because he was so angry and jealous that God accepted Abel's gift and not Cain's gift. I think we've been murdering brothers and sisters in Christ in the name of jealousy because they're getting something that we're not and we're wondering why God seems to be favoring them and not us. And I wonder, it's because they've sacrificed, they've given their best when no one was looking, in private when nobody was looking, nobody cared, nobody acknowledged, they kept on persevering, they were consistent, they were disciplined, they were diligent, and now there's a reward happening to them. And you can't stand in jealousy because it will rob you of what God wants to do in you. You have an opportunity to change your way right now. And I addressed in the beginning of this whole season in June that I believe if we can address the sin of Achan in this house, when we could go from a minority of people bought in financially to a majority, we will move into a whole new place in 2024. And it's entirely centered around this, you guys. Listen, if you can say in your heart that you're giving God your best, we're all going to win. If you can honestly say before God that you are giving your best, we're all going to win. But if you're only tipping God your leftovers and everything else in your life is getting the best, you're missing it. And there will come a time where you will feel angry toward people around you because of what they're living. I teach on this stuff. People used to say to me all the time, like, well, you're a pastor. I do a lot of other things than pastoring too, but you're a pastor. You're a pastor. You, you, no, no, I'm just, I live this stuff. And I've sacrificed. And I put my face in the dirt. I've had my face, I've been kicked down, I've been beat up, cursed at, canceled. At the end of the day, I answer to one person, an audience of one. And I don't want to live ever in a place where I feel like Cain, jealous of my brother, knowing that I'm not giving my best to God. This is why we do things like this called House of Hearts at the end of the service, to give an opportunity to help 
shift the heart to move from an unhealthy one to a healthy house of hearts. Amen? Let me close with this. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. Think about what you're doing today in light of this. Proverbs 13, verse 22. A good man or a good person leaves an inheritance for their grandchildren. Everything you do in the now, every seed you sow in the present speaks to the future. And it does not matter. Listen, you know what sacrifice feels to you. For some people, it could be $10. That's sacrifice right now. It could be, I don't know what it is. You know what sacrifice feels for you. And I believe that God's going to put such favor such favor in your experience in 2024 when you give him your your best amen so i'm going to encourage if anybody does not have a house of hearts card please um i would encourage you to make your way right now to the side table there are many cards there available uh, or we can have some people pass them out as well if you don't have a card and what we're going to do is I'm going to have communion passed out right now. We're going to have our team, please, if we're ready to pass out communion, do this as quick and efficiently as possible. And if all the families, if you can, all the kids, whoever, please come to the, your seat. Come take a seat with your families. And our team is going to begin to pass down. We can't pass communion out if you're not sit, sit, uh, seated. It's going to help us if you're sitting down. Please come into the auditorium all the way in and sit down so we can pass out communion. As we pass out communion, we're going to take communion together. As a family, of course, we believe in the power of communion here. We believe that it's not just a symbol, but it's an experience. The, the broken body is represented in the, the wafer. The spilled out blood is represented in the wine or the grape juice. And when we take the body and we take the blood, so to speak, we are connecting with the reality that Jesus didn't just die for my salvation, didn't have his body whipped and bruised and broken for my salvation. It all happened for our healing. So maybe you're in this room and you need a healing in your body. Maybe you're in this room and you have a, your body has been broken down. Well, the body is for that specifically. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Bring me back to the forefront of your mind and do this in remembrance of me. Remember that my body was broken to set you free. Now, this, uh, this is the blood. This is a reminder that we are forgiven, past, present, and future. Remember, you do not confess your sin to God to be forgiven. You confess your sin to God because you already are forgiven over 2,000 years ago. That's the beauty of the good news. You simply align yourself with the forgiveness that's already been paid for on a cross it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, "The cup, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as as you drink it. Before we take communion together, I know we're still passing it out, I want you to take some time, get out your House of Hearts cards. If you haven't already written down what you need to write down, take some time to write that stuff down. There's going to be some information on the screen for you to be a part of this. We have the financial kiosks in the back in the auditorium today, one on each side of the auditorium. Now, if you're in this room and you're new with us this morning, I want to welcome you. This is something that we do every single year, once a year, the second week of December at the end of the year where we just encourage our house to bring a one-time end-of-the-year sacrificial offering and tie their faith to something that they're believing for. And we do this as families, so my kids are involved. They, they give their own money. They're all involved in this. They pray through what God wants them to do, give, because if you can't, listen, your kids need to be a part of these moments because it trains their ability to understand that God at the end of the day is the source of all provision. If I can't trust God with my little now, how am I going to trust God with my more later on? So 
I'm going to give you some time. We have some time. Just take, take some time. Write the stuff down if you haven't already. Get your cards out. And we're going to begin to pray over them. And if I can just have my wife come up here, Michelle, we're going to pray together over them. And then we're going to come down as a family. And all of us, when we're ready, I'm not going to do it yet. After communion, we're going to come down and we're going to drop the envelopes in these boxes. Now, once again, please make sure this is separate from your normal giving. It allows us to count actually what came in to the specific to the House of Hearts offering specifically. Okay, so if you're text to giving, there's a lot of people in this house text to give, there is a House of Hearts option. Make sure you do not put your normal giving in there. The House of Hearts is the this specific offering right now. The House of Hearts, it's called, I don't know if it's HOH on the text to give option or if it's House of Hearts. And then if you want to give by debit at the end, you can go back to the kiosks in the back two corners and give at the very end. But I want to encourage every one of you, uh, before we stand up, we're going to stand up a second. Before we stand up, we're going to take communion. Get your communion elements out together. God, we thank you for the body and the blood, and we thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your healing. I pray that in the name of Jesus over across this auditorium that you would begin to touch bodies in a real way. That you would let this day be a memorable one. Touch the kidneys, touch the livers, touch the hearts in this room, the bladders, chronic infections. God, I pray that you would heal skin conditions in this room. God, restore bones in this room. God, restore the brain. Restore the brain. Any, any numbness in the body, I pray that you would remove the numbness. God, I pray that in this season you'd restore hearing and eyesight. God, you'd restore uh, things that maybe we've even forgot asking you for. We're just used to it. We're just used to walking with the limp or walking with the crutch. I pray that in this season, God, there would be a radical restoration of bodies in Jesus' name. And God, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for your forgiveness. We receive your forgiveness again like an overwhelming shower every day. You've forgiven us past, present, and future. And so we thank you, God, that we have an opportunity to be set free from sin in Jesus' name.